Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast. Imagine this world, it's basically a digital simulation of lifelike scenarios. So you could be in a patient room with your goggles, using your hands. You basically are immersed in a 360 virtual patient room or in the OR or in a delivery room. And you are going through these scenarios that are germane to your role and what you want to get better on and what you want to experience. Joining us today, Laura Sparkman. Laura has been a nurse for 37 years, 10 at the bedside, 27 in health administration, and leading patient safety and improvement work for over 22 years, specifically using software and technology. In today's episode, Laura describes how VR is changing the landscape of clinical training. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of community at nurse.com. Laura Sparkman, we are on. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Okay. We're going to kick this thing off because this is a virtual reality training is what I asked you to come on and talk about. And really the reason why we even ended up talking about this was because earlier in season one, we talked to Bonnie Clipper, we talked about virtual nursing, we talked about just kind of the future of AI and everything that technology has the ability to bring into our profession to help make us work more efficiently, be able to do the job that we love. And so I had you do a little guest speaker thing. Yeah, a little something, something. A little something, something. You were in the dot spot. I I dot spotted you. You got dot spotted. Okay, Laura, uh, you and I work together. We work at Relias. um, But for the listeners who may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself, just your nursing career and kind of how you came to be in the position that you're in today. Absolutely. So I am a nurse by background. I've been in healthcare. I keep saying I've been a nurse for 37 years, but sometimes people get a perception of what that means. I was at the bedside for about 10 years. And then the remainder of my years up till now has been in healthcare administration and consulting. So a good, so 27 plus years on the business side and strategy side of healthcare. I would say. Oh, nice. So your first 10 years, what area were you in? I was focused initially in your basic medical floor, med surge floor. Uh, I quickly transferred back to cardiac ICU and medical ICU. And that's where I spent the bulk of my bedside career. Nice. Yeah. And then um, I took a total left turn 
And um, while I was finishing my bachelor's degree, because I went to, I'm an old diploma grad, and that's like different in the nursing world, you know, like, yeah, you have like a thousand clinical hours and you come out um, ready to, you know, run these units because you have so much experience compared to today nursing program. It's It's just so starkly different. But Anyway, I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to successfully transfer back to the ICU setting pretty quickly. But now they hire them right into the ICU. So um, anyway, that's another topic. But (laughs) uh, I took a sharp left turn into working at a couple different healthcare plans, and I was doing catastrophic case management for some of the most, you know, sickest people that we know like bone marrow transplant patients. And uh, I really learned a lot during that part of my career on how healthcare is paid for and how it actually works. I didn't necessarily like working for health plans, but like I said, I'll take the positive away from that. I learned a lot about utilization management, case management, effective management, evidence-based guidelines of care. I never even really heard of evidence-based guidelines when I was an ICU you know, nurse. And I learned about that in the health plan because it's all about efficiency and effectiveness. And it very much applies to today about creating standards, reducing variation, and just trying to do that across an enterprise leads to better outcomes for patients. So that's what I really care about. And then I got hooked into, from there uh, in my healthcare career, I got hooked into another nurse leader who, um, when we all had a bunch of big changes at the health plan, we all got recruited to go to Ascension Health. At the time it was Daughters of Charity, but I was doing internal consulting on managed care and how how to help hospitals better manage capitated care and get more efficient and effective. So that was uh, kind of a big step back for me and how I ended up in the administrative side back on the provider side of healthcare. And I've been there ever since. I spent about 17 plus years at Ascension in various roles, consulting, um, focused on managed care, really transitioned into patient safety and high reliability, have been formally trained in patient safety and high reliability and human factors. And I would say that's where I've spent the bulk of my career to date, working towards improving patient outcomes and uh, really what we focus on today, reducing risk at Relias in the group that I'm in, the clinical solutions group. I love the Clinical Solutions Group, by the way. Some of my favorite people are over there, including Mr. John Harrington. Oh, Mr. John (laughs) Harrington, yes. And that's actually how I met John. I was doing some patient safety work at Ascension around perinatal safety. And of course, you know his story. He was the founder of Advanced Practice Strategies, APS, who created Gnosis. Everybody's like, what does Gnosis mean? It's the Greek word for knowledge. But that is you know, then we got acquired by Relias. And that's today it's known as Relias OB. My clinical experience at Ascension was broader than OB, but we had so much success and really made 
significant impact on improving outcomes for moms and babies, mortality, morbidity, literally saving lives, very, very rewarding work. And then I had the opportunity to work with other large health systems across the country and learned about what they were doing. And then I met John, we wanted to create standards and we purchased Gnosis and implemented it. And it's still in place today. So several years later, it's proven to work and be effective in reducing medical malpractice lawsuits for hospitals related to OB and improving lives for moms and babies that we care about. Tell us a little bit more because we, you know, we have a variety of listeners on the podcast, obviously a lot of nurses, a lot of people in the healthcare field, but we also have a lot of like just the general public that is probably really interested in, from a very layperson perspective, what are some of these programs specifically like for OB that you guys have put into place and that you're utilizing to improve those outcomes, to create more safety within uh, those environments? Yeah, great question, because It goes back to what I was saying just a little bit earlier, which is evidence-based guidelines. So one of the, I guess it's the beauty and the curse of medical care in the U.S., which is the autonomy of the hospital and the autonomy of the provider. And while there are oversight bodies like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, and A1, the Association of Women Obstetric and Neonatal Nurses, these associations and groups oversee and advise healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, midwives, mid-levels, et cetera, on standards of care. But the actuality of it, and we've gotten better, but back in the day when I was initially doing the work at Ascension Health, and John created the first, you know, education and training program in OB. It was because we saw so much variation from provider to provider and from hospital to hospital. And nursing, honestly, it was um, frantic for them because you would have maybe two or three patients. Let's talk about OB for a second. Two or three patients that might be laboring, and then one doctor has you delivering uh, an induction medicine at a different rate. And then you have another doctor with another patient um, ordering different medications and at a different rate. You could start to see the variation, even though there's standard guidelines on how you ought to be delivering that medication and ordering that medication. Um, We've gotten a lot better at helping reduce the variation on how orders are written and how care is provided, which makes it so much easier with less mistakes for the nurse to do their job in the hospital. So that's a very basic example. Um, But again, variation in healthcare, unintended variation, or however you want to describe it, uh, deviations from the standard of care or deviations from evidence-based practice lead to higher mistakes, lead to patient harm, lead to increased medical malpractice. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, it's like sometimes, I don't know, I'm just going to like break it down in terms of like, so I had a, I had a home birth. I did it at home with a midwife. Okay. Actually two midwives. And I had an OB. (laughs) So, I mean, I was kind of like trying to like cover all my bases, but basically some of the stuff that I learned from the midwives was like, Sometimes it just takes time, right? And you don't have to like rush things along and you need to like kind of follow a standard of care. And I did keep hearing kind of just the standard of how they behave in every type of situation, that there there are things that fall outside of those standards because things pop up, things happen, right? And then you have to like react to the thing that has happened or respond to the thing that has happened. But if everything's kind of going along, as it should be, then the way you respond should also kind of follow along to a certain standard of care. Like you don't need to be like, you know, let's move this thing along. I got somewhere to be. This person's been kind of laboring for like six hours. I think we could probably get this baby going, you know, like inductions, right? Inductions. Yeah. It's like, is it necessary to induce or could we just have more patience? Like who knows? But then that's, I think, when there really needs to be very kind of strict guidelines and standards of care where it's like, unless there's this, this, and this happening, you just let that woman labor. Unless there's something happening where you feel like the baby's not doing well, there's late D cells or, you know, things like that. And I'm not a labor and delivery nurse and I'm literally throwing stuff out from like when I was in nursing school. I was like, you know, those late D cells, you know, like I know what I'm talking about. It's a problem. If you have reoccurring late D cells, you better pay attention to that. Right. You better pay attention. And that is something that should say, okay, like now we need to intervene. And here's the standard of care that you do when this thing happens, right? So that there's some level of consistency. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we could say safely that the tide has definitely turned. So there has been a movement literally since 1999 on getting better at hospital care and very focused on reducing variation and creating high reliability. Hospitals are all over the place in terms of where they are in their journey to high reliability, but reliability is really all about, just like it says, creating consistency towards a standard of care. But the the, the one caveat I would say, and I do truly believe this, is that providers and even mid-levels at the, the time when you are, you, you mentioned this, there are emergencies that, um, you know, then that's the part of the training. That's the work that Relias does. That is what healthcare workers do, physicians, nurses, again, is train and be prepared for those high-risk emergencies. They do come up, they're rare events, but they're very costly events in terms of patient lives and harm that are long-term. Some people don't survive these mistakes. Uh, But we have found that when you simulate these emergencies, when you educate the team and they get better, they save lives, they reduce harm. And that's really kind of, you had asked earlier about to the lay person, some of these programs that we have in place is really to create education for the healthcare team for the, in the case of OB as an example, 
for these high-risk situations so that when they do occur, they're better prepared. 90% or even higher, uh, that's the funny thing about OB, is, uh, I'm air quoting, normal deliveries without complication. And that's what we want. That's what we prepare. But you have to be prepared for the emergency. And then when we do things like uh, induced labor, when the mom's cervix aren't ready, you introduce complications that don't need to be there. So you had also made a point about um, let it, letting nature take its course, be patient. And there's a different philosophy sometimes with midwives versus providers. And there's you know evidence out there that both want to kind of spin a story around that. But there is a movement generally about better management of second stage labor. For the first time ever, the Joint Commission and CMS are very interested in C-section rates as an example. Primary, there used to be a time when women could actually decide, do you want to deliver vaginally or do you want to deliver with a surgery? And that's not, uh, unless it's medically necessary, you can't do that really anymore. And there's very specific criteria, evidence-based guidelines to say when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to do that. So we're looking at rates of C-sections. Some hospitals have basically one in every two delivery and their hospital is a surgery, a C-section. Some have less than 10%, which is phenomenal. So it really does have a lot to do with setting expectations, the culture of the patient population, um, uh, some social determinants um, uh, contribute to that. And, and there's some factors in the U.S. compared to other first world countries that we have around higher BMIs, women having babies later in life, comorbid conditions, hypertension, a cardiomyopathy, uh, cardiac disease in general, and other things socially around racism, bias, and access to healthcare. So those are all hot topics that we're all addressing, and that's some of the education in, uh, we provide and we develop at Relias uh, that you know keeps us uh, happy and moving forward every day. It's exciting. It, it's exciting because I think we're trying to stay on the cutting edge of things and which is what takes us nicely into our topic of virtual reality. First of all. Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to say very quickly because it's, that's a perfect segue because we learned early on that, and we've been following this for some time, part of what was unique with Gnosis is its assessment-based learning. And that was a game changer in learning modality education, okay, for the last 10 plus year, 10, 15 years. Everything else was sit in a classroom, have education pushed to you. There's been some e-learning, but flat file PowerPoint or sitting in a classroom is probably the least effective learning modality that we have, but it's still one of the primary ways hospital educators and healthcare workers are being taught. So we introduced through Gnosis this assessment-based education, and that has been a phenomenal uh, turn. And then simulation was introduced around using high-fidelity birthing simulators as an example. But think about Recessa Annie or the, the new and latest Laredell RQI models for ACLS and BLS. That's simulation. 
And then to your point, now we're moving into the forefront and the, and the frontier of virtual reality. And I am a huge fan of virtual reality because there's this like incredible app on on the Oculus called Supernatural. <laughs> it's, it's a great workout app. <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh, Laura, this thing's great. So Supernatural is you have like a trainer standing in front of you, you're standing on a platform, you're in Bali, you're in like, you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like in the Mediterranean, I'm here. And you, you actually feel like you're there in this place. They've got music going. You can either do like boxing where you hit these targets and you box at these targets that are flying at you, but they're flying at you to the beat of the music, which is really fun. You Or you can do it with, I don't know, they look like uh, those lightsaber kind of things and you hit them, but also again at the beat of the music. So you kind of feel like you're a drummer in a way. You're kind of like, oh yeah, I have great rhythm. (laughs) Well, for me, I spend, um, I have a headset, but for me, I'm spending all my time in the application of using VR for healthcare education. And so I'm not doing quite as fun, but it's funner than sitting in a classroom and yes. uh, having somebody lecture to you for eight or 16 hours, <laughs> which is, I think that this I don't, is the I don't future. Have it. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, I, me either. And, uh, you know, even when I was in my residency program, like after nursing school at Children's Hospital, we would sit in these very long days of just staring at PowerPoint presentations. And I was like, I think I'm losing brain cells. As I sit here, I think I'm actually getting dumber and I'm not getting smarter. Definitely not focused on the content. Your mind is drifting. And we know that there's so much research out there, the body of evidence about that style of learning not being effective. It's done. Okay, done. So there's an appropriate time for instructor led education. And that's where we at Realize has been spending a lot of our time really trying to understand what's the right dial of blended learning. And blended learning is using multiple education modalities for the right purpose. And that's where I think the, you know, VR has been around for some time, but in healthcare education, it's very nascent. So we're really focused on and developing, it's developing very, very rapidly. And so the sky is the limit on what we can do with VR right now. So. Hey, nurses, did you know that nurse.com is the ultimate destination for all nurses? It's where you can find your nurse life in one place. That's right. Everything from networking with your peers and continuing education to industry news and career opportunities. It's all there for you. Nurse.com is your dedicated platform to explore a wide range of job opportunities from all across the nation. Whether you're a fresh graduate testing the waters or a seasoned pro desiring for a change in scenery, we've got you covered. Nurse.com forward slash jobs features posts from entry level to executive leadership in every practice setting, even in specialties you might not have considered. So why wait? Leverage your skills and passion in an opportunity worthy of both. 
Visit nurse.com forward slash jobs today and initiate your journey towards the next chapter in your nursing career. So tell me a little bit about what an experience would look like for someone learning on VR. Absolutely. And the thing about it, like nurses, um, especially nursing schools, I would say in the last several years have really adopted and brought it into the fold of nursing schools and nursing training, simulation, definitely sim labs and that sort of thing. And so this is the next natural evolution is moving into this virtual reality space. But imagine this world, it's basically a digital simulation of lifelike scenarios. So you could be in a patient room with your goggles, using your hands. You may or may not have controllers. As an example, there's um, eye direction and finger pointing direction, but you basically are immersed in a 360 virtual patient room or in the OR or in a delivery room And you are going through these scenarios that are germane to your role and what you want to get better on and what you want to practice and what you want to experience in a safe um, and fun and realistic environment. And one of the most important things that I like to tout about it, it's also more effective in terms of time, but the biggest piece about how we learn is through our own personal experience. And so this is what virtual reality is. And so whether uh, we can get into this in a minute, but the different types of reality, virtual reality, um, there, you know, extended reality, XR, and then there's virtual reality, augmented reality, and then mixed realities. What are those things? Okay, so I I don't know anything about anything aside from like virtual reality and augmented reality. I'm just thinking about like LSD. (laughs) Well, uh, that's so funny. Um, Okay, so extended reality is basically the umbrella term for virtual reality, augmented reality, and maybe a mixed reality modality. And there are virtual reality is you are just totally immersed in a virtual world, uh, a digital world. So you're, um, you know, you are putting the headset on and let's say you are going to give your patient their daily bath, just something very basic. And you are talking to your patient and your patient is talking back to you. Or let's say you're going to insert a peripheral IV. You can go through the practice following um, aseptic technique or sterile technique or whatever, you know, and actually using medical equipment and devices that come right from hard equipment that are now in your virtual space and you're picking things up with your hands, you're approaching your patient and you're practicing these tasks in this environment. Augmented reality is actually something like, I think I I was just reading something recently, Snapchat as an example is augmented reality or, oh gosh, what is it? Pokemon Go, where you actually have 3D, virtual 
things in a real environment. So like a Pokemon on the go, you find Pokemon in the middle of a ballpark as an example. And so that's okay. That got it. Right. Yep. Okay. And then the mixed, um, I, I call it mixed reality, but it's a mix of both of those where, uh, or you're taking, um, components of, augmented reality, and then you're actually interacting and you're mapping things as an example. And you're, so you're mixing both the reality versus augmented reality in your situation. And other examples of that are like designing floor plans and furniture and, you know, those um, design apps that you get are, are a little bit of that as well. So Oh, yeah, that okay, so that makes a lot of sense. Like, see what this carpet would look like in your room. Exactly, exactly. That's so so imagine that. Yeah, imagine that that type of median coming in, and it's, I mean, you're getting the visual, the auditory, reading, writing, uh, the kinesthetic, you're feeling it as well. And so all that experiential learning helps us learn at a much higher rate than in other forms of learning. And it also helps with retention at a much higher rate than the way that we retain information today. So there is a lot of adult learning science embedded in these learning modalities. And once we find that sweet spot of where it makes sense, and we're really focused on that today, right now, and some of the work we're doing, uh, with Emory University around infection prevention and control. And imagine being able to teach six to 10 million healthcare workers on all the evidence-based guidelines on how to manage infection prevention and control. I mean, we can really manage the next pandemic that comes our way in a much more efficient and effective manner. That's one of the reasons why I was thinking about this today as I was, you know, preparing for this, but the pandemic really made, you know, forced us to make a lot of changes we didn't want to make, like telemedicine, right? Now, you imagine a world without telemedicine. You can't. And yep. VR is going to be the same way. I mean, people are starting to come back in the hospital and people are starting to group train. But when you have other modalities that are more effective and less costly and more efficient and effective, at meeting the goals around education, why would you go back to this older model? Well, exactly. And and the thing is, is that we have to acknowledge, right, that like students are not getting the kind of clinical training that they received once upon a time. And I'm kind of like you. I, I was an associate's degree nurse. I went to county. So I went to county nursing school. So that means we were literally located across from County LAC, USC, County Hospital, like the old general hospital that looks like there's gargoyles sitting out like on the, that's what they, it looks like. I'm just painting a picture for the listeners here. Like just imagine like this like place that you wouldn't imagine wanting to go for care. <laughs> so wow. it, it sounds it very was, institutional. It was very institutional, very kind of ominous in a way and old. And I, I have said before that when I was in my fourth semester of nursing school, literally what would happen is you'd walk in to the floor and a county nurse would hand you like six charts and walk away. And then they were back at like three. And you were like, 
trying to read the charts and they were all handwritten and nothing was, you know, we didn't have computers. There was no computers. And so you were trying to like figure out what the order said in the first place and what the H&P was saying and what the notes were saying. And oh my gosh, it was hard, but I got real training. I mean, I, I really learned I had boots on the ground kind of learning. And then you look at like the nursing students right through COVID who couldn't even go in a hospital. Yeah, we're hearing that today, um, you know, around the new hires and how much hiring of new nurses that's happening today because of COVID, right? It's really affected the nursing profession in a monstrous way and in a really detrimental way, but it's something that everybody is really focused on. So a couple of things we're constantly and will be for the next several years, I'm going to even, you know, five to 10 years, we're going to be managing the nurse workforce and trying to figure out models where we can rapidly train and get nurses to competency more efficiently and effectively because it is our duty to deliver safe patient care, period. So that is one of the biggest concerns, uh, nurse leaders and hospital leaders. And I'm sure even as a nurse, how do I get competent? And it's one of the most scary things, I think, for our new nurses. We love the enthusiasm. We want that. But it can also be crushing when you're literally thrown out you know, into the field and say, go forth and do what you were taught. And many of these new nurses we, we know have never had any patient care clinical experience as they were a graduate during that COVID time. Some of that is, you know, trickling away now. I mean, it's rapidly changing and evolving. Imagine if they would have had access to virtual reality. Imagine a time, and it will happen in the future too, but I mean, the mobile phone is going to be a very big, have a big role in healthcare education in the future in 3D and VR and AR as well. So there is no limit. And we're talking about XR, VR, AR, MR today. And who knows what it's going to be because it's going to continue to evolve in, you know, two or three years. So it's It's very uh, exciting. It's a very exciting time. And it's happening in our lifetime. And it's, I I know it's fun to be part of it and see the transformation and, and see what's possible about that. So. I also wanted to know your opinion on something as well. And it's because I've had a few people mention this to me where they're like, well, you know, we tend to be so much more receptive to feedback when it comes from a computer. Like when a computer says to you, well, you could have said this better or even like on Microsoft Teams, there's all these, would you like feedback on your presentation? And it'll actually give you feedback about your speaking. I mean, there's all these things that are being added into like the Microsoft stuff that we use and not just Microsoft, but all of, you know, all different types of of companies. I'm not just pitching Microsoft here, but like... (laughs) (laughs) Although I'm sure they'd be thrilled if they're like, yeah, just keep talking about Microsoft. But we tend to be more receptive. Like we don't get as emotional. We don't get as triggered. We don't, we don't go like, well, what do you mean by that? 
this is just some AI that's telling me based off of an algorithm or patterns that it sees or whatever that I could improve here or I did a good job there, just things like that. So I'm imagining that when you are like less stressed out, right? First of all, you retain more information when you're less stressed out. And if you don't have like that clinical instructor hovering over you, staring at you with that blank stare and their pad, and you know that they're just marking you off. Meantime, you're trying to figure out how to drop an NG tube, but they're like writing and So I imagine that this has got to be so much better just in terms of retention of this information because of that as well. A hundred percent. And the thing about, you know, virtual reality is not really where it doing what you talked about, just, just to give you a visual, as you were talking, I was thinking about, it's not refined enough yet, but it will be very soon where you can really see the unseen and visually see where the NNG tube is going as an example, how you have to pass the epiglottis. And, but that's not where it is today. So it's really important uh, where we are now is to you get to practice and prepare and plan and set up your field to do an NG tube. That's something that we're actually working on for um, infection prevention and control. But it's not so much, are you precisely inserting the NG tube? You're still going to have to have that preceptor over your shoulder, hopefully guiding you in a more positive way. And you're better prepared because you've practiced in a safe environment in VR. So you're, right. you know what to expect but then you have to go actually do it on a real person and you're just better prepared. So it does create that, you know, reduced stress, knowing what to expect, especially if you've never done it, even in a virtual world. And, but the sky is the limit for, you know, in that environment of when you actually are trying to teach a skill and you see the impact of your technique. And that's the level that'll be coming in the future. But yes, super exciting. Uh, Many nursing schools right now today are deeply involved in VR training. And then other areas, you know, like surgery, the OR, those are just areas that are ripe for that. But there's also behavioral health and some of the soft skills. I call them uh, really important skills, but the patient experience, how to talk to your patient or the family in difficult situations. It's one of, I think, one of the hardest things If you've never been exposed to death and dying or really critically ill patients and all these emotions are around you and the patient and the family and even your healthcare team, to practice talking through those critical situations and be better prepared on how to manage that and get feedback on that in a training session. I mean, really, I can just imagine a time where patient experience is very positive because we're training everybody and be helping them be prepared for how to handle these most emotional and tough conversations. So that's another area, behavioral health, therapy, um, emergencies in the ED and improving teamwork and communication. I always like to come from this place where back to the evidence-based guidelines and how important it is. But imagine now, not only are we just delivering you the evidence-based guidelines in an assessment-based form of education, which is still 
one of the top two ways to have an experiential learning experience. How many times can I say experience? But it's true. And then now you also get to partner that with practicing what you learned around all the evidence-based guidelines in VR and how much better you will be prepared for anything that comes your way, whether it's actually delivering clinical care or talking to your patient or talking to a provider on some of these, you know, difficult conversations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it, it really is such an exciting time. And it's so funny, like when you were talking about someday you'll be able to like actually do the skill where you'll actually be able to put the NG tube in. And I was thinking to myself about like putting in a Foley and then I was like, I can't wait to see what they do. Like, look for the wink, look for the wink, you know, like, like <laughs> the little constriction of the urethra. <laughs> It's like the virtual reality version of a urethra responding to the to the betadine wipe. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I know I I'm very excited about what's coming because I think that we do really have to be able to prepare people. They're just not they're just not prepared enough. And it's really unfortunate. And right now the the nurses are so strapped and and preceptorship is so hard because they're constantly training. And whether or not they're training a traveler that has just come to their unit or they're tra- training a new grad that just came to their unit, I'm sure they're probably like, when do I actually work? Because I in the meantime, I'm training all these people. <laughs> Right. I mean, we're, we really want to switch from a comp, you know, from an hours based orientation to right sizing education based on competency. And that is really what is the beauty of this is because every individual learns at their own pace and some need more than others. And that's why this personalized learning and experiential learning modality is so valuable. So we're going to really be able to meet the needs of every individual nurse, which if you take that up a notch, every educator and every hospital is raising the bar on competency. And I really expect that we're going to see at the end of the day, what we're all striving for is better outcomes for our patients. Well said, Laura. What a great, what a great conversation. And a big part of what we do in this podcast is validation, resources, and hope, right? And when you talk about the future, you know, that's where you get to tie in like hope that this is something that is coming. It's here, but it's going to get better. And that... Yes. Rapidly better. Like, you know, we can almost, we almost can't even keep up with technology, right? But I think that better patient care is on the horizon and really just confidence, right? Just really bringing confidence. That's where I, where you were going. I'm happy nurses, again, like feeling confident and confident that they are well prepared and can do it, can do their job and are well prepared. To me, I remember being a new and young nurse many, many years ago, and that was probably my, I mean, I think at a year in, I was like, wow, is this really for me? And then, um, you know, I you kind of got through that phase. I had, I was lucky. I had a lot of one-on-one time with a couple of really great mentors in the ICU that really helped me, you know, recognize that I was a novice 
and took the time uh, with me to make sure I was prepared and handling increasingly difficult situations and patients. But that's the, the beauty of this new type of learning modality is you can start at novice and keep adding on skill over time and get to mastery. It's very possible and it's exactly what we want to do. I think it's going to be a game changer in nurse retention as well around nurses are going to uh, feel compelled that they're to stay because their hospital cares about them. They're bringing the, the best and brightest and te uh, technology to bear for them to be prepared and confident in their role. And I think it's a perfect scenario that's going to help us um, kind of, you know, improve the some of these issues that we have coming out of COVID. So it is really a bright spot. Super, super excited. Thank you so much, Laura, for spending this time with me. And this is going to be a fantastic episode. And right now I'm recording season two, but this is actually dropping in season two. So for those of you who are listening, it's season two. <laughs> well, when we get this launched, we'll have to come back and we'll do, we should do a revisit and we can talk about the actuality, because we're piloting this very soon and we're going to be able to come back and share like what is really happening and how it's working out and nurse experience. And so you'll be hearing from us too. We want to, we're going to be surveying nurse.com nurses and other healthcare team members on their preference around learning modalities. So much more to come on that too. Stay tuned for part two of VR nursing. There you go. <laughs> VR nurse. The VR nurse. Mwah. Thank you so much, Laura. Bye, Kara. If you are a nurse who enjoyed this episode and you have an idea for future episodes, you can connect with me by downloading the nurse.com app. Nurse Dot is a Nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse Dot podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.